breaking. Twitter files reveals they directly assisted in influencing U.S. military's operations. Plus, 20 Republican senators vote with the Democrats for a $1.7 trillion spending bill. Is your senator on the list? Find out on the special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is Episode 307 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Tuesday, December twentieth, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented an unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, now 20 Republican senators voted in favor of the motion to proceed to the vote to pass the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. And I'm going to tell you who they are. But first, let me tell you some of the more egregious provisions of the bill. First of all, Breitbart reporting the omnibus bill gives DOJ... $212 million increased budget to prosecute January 6th prisoners. So every Republican senator that voted to move this along is voting to continue the persecution of these political prisoners. No wonder none of them will talk about it. The $1.7 trillion omnibus bill will provide a larger budget for the Justice Department to prosecute January 6 prisoners, a House Appropriations Committee summary revealed Tuesday. If the bill passes in the next few days, the DOJ's budget to further support prosecutions related to the January 6 attack on the Capitol, what a lie, and domestic terrorism cases will increase two point pardon me, will increase $212.1 million from current levels of the $2.63 billion annual budget. DOJ had previously asked Congress for only $34 million in its 2023 budget to fund 130 employees to investigate the 80 January 6 prisoners. Instead, the budget was expanded to $212 million. The DOJ previously told Congress the cases are unprecedented in scale and it's expected to be among the most complex investigations prosecuted by the Department of Justice, claiming the funding was necessary 
for the continued prosecutions of the growing number of cases related to this breach of the U.S. Capitol that has left the department with an immense task of finding and charging those responsible for the attacks. The attacks, like when people were staying within the rope lines, chatting amiably with the police who let them into the building, those attacks. Attorney General Merrick Garland told NBC News' Lester Holt in July the department did not necessarily need more funds to prosecute the prisoners, but would take the additional means if provided. So Lou Dobbs, over on Fox Business Network, says McConnell and his rhinos helping Biden gut America. Omnibus bill gives DOJ $212.1 million increased budget to prosecute January 6 prisoners. Yeah, Lou Dobbs. I'm going to have to follow him. He's over at uh, Fox Business Network. Yeah, i got to follow this guy. I don't know why I wasn't following him already. All right, now, um, Zelensky, the dictator of Ukraine, the guy who outlawed opposition parties, outlawed opposition media, and now is outlawing a whole Christian denomination, the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. Zelensky is coming to speak to a combined the combined houses of Congress Wednesday evening in Washington, D.C. They're going to put the Senate and the House together and let him deliver an address. So the great Michael Tracy, roving journalist over there on Twitter, says, makes sense, Zelensky coming to D.C. in person tomorrow to receive his $45 billion Christmas gift. The great Sean Davis of The Federalist says, Republican senators refused to send actual Americans $2,000 checks after the government destroyed their jobs and banned them from work, church, and school. But Zelensky, he gets to have $110 billion with no debate. However much you hate Washington, D.C., I promise you it hates you way more. Okay, got it. Jordan Schachtel, the great journalist over Substack, says Zelensky to deliver an address in person Wednesday evening to a joint session of Congress who plan on recognizing him as a hero for democracy. The tone deafness speaks volumes. I don't think they're tone deaf. I don't think they care. I think they hate us. I think they want us to know they hate us because most people aren't paying attention and they want the ones who are paying attention know that they hate us. Julie Kelly, in response to the list of 20 Republican senators who voted for this monstrosity $1.7 trillion spending bill, says, LOL, GOP is the enemy of their own base. The great Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal, linking to the thread of tweets from U.S. Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina, whose staff has been busy combing through this bill to see what's in it. Kimberly Strassel says, excellent thread brought to you by a member who is taking the time to read this garbage. 
So I'm going to go through it, and I'm going to tell you who these senators are. And it's 20 of the 50 Republican senators. Because people always say, oh, we got to get rid of these guys. Well, I'll tell you what it'll take. I'll tell you when they're up for re-election. I'll tell you which ones are retiring anyway, so they're untouchable. They're, they're leaving anyway. I'll tell you the whole, thi- the whole deal, the whole deal. But first, it is my responsibility, it's my duty to tell you as much as I can of the monstrosity of the stuff that is in the bill. And then later, we will get to the latest Twitter file. Now, remember what I said. The latest Twitter file reveals how Twitter directly assisted in influencing the U.S. military's operations. I I mean, I would think that that might concern you. If you're listening to Doc Washburn's show, you're probably the kind of person who gets concerned about these kinds of things. So first, let's talk about what's in the bill. Again, U.S. Representative Dan Bishop, proudly representing the 9th District of North Carolina. Isn't that the district that starts in Mecklenburg County, the Charlotte area, and heads down Highway 74 towards the beach? If I recall correctly, I believe it is. Let me look real quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, a little bit of Mecklenburg County, Union, Anson, Richmond, some of Moore County, Hope County, Scotland County, and Robeson County. Well, that was for the 2020 elections. I I don't know what it's going to look like for 2022. But anyway, you get the idea. So Dan Bishop, God bless him. He wants people to know. Because, see, what the Senate should be doing, since Republicans are just a couple of weeks away from taking over the House, The Senate should be saying, no, you know what? We will pass a continuing resolution to fund the government for a few more weeks, and then we're going to let our guys in charge of the House get into the fray. But instead, McConnell and the people in charge are like, no, no, no. Why don't we just roll over for the Democrats? Why don't we let the Republican voters know how much we hate them? And when I tell you what's in the bill, oh, you'll know. So, anyway, God bless Congressman Dan Dan Bishop out of North Carolina, 9th District. He says, my team and I are reading through the omnibus bill today, all $1.7 trillion and 4,155 pages of it. He says, follow along for some of the most egregious provisions in the bill. First of all, it expressly prohibits... Border Patrol funding from being used to improve border security. Well, he's got it highlighted. He's got it highlighted. None of the funds provided in subsection A1 shall be used to hire permanent federal employees for any flight hours other than those flown by U.S. Customs and Border Protection Air and Marine Operations except for internal transport transportation of non-citizens or to acquire, maintain, or extend border security technology and capabilities, except for technology and capabilities to improve Border Border Patrol processing. 
So these 20 Republican senators who voted with the Democrats are voting against border security. Congressman Dan Bishop says, but at the same time, this $1.7 trillion monstrosity of a spending bill allocates $410 million toward border security for Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. America last, not America first, America last in action. And he has it highlighted here where it says for enhanced border security for those countries. And, of course, $1.438 billion with a B for membership in global multilateral organizations, including the United Nations. For some reason, the word salmon appears 48 times in the bill. And he's got a, a screenshot here of the Alaska Salmon Research Task Force. I bet that was a, a gift to uh, Murkowski, Senator Murkowski. He says, $65 million for salmon? It seems fishy. Yeah. Pacific Coastal Salmon Recovery for Necessary Expenses Associated with the restoration of Pacific salmon population, $65 million to remain available until September 30th, 2024. Then he says, $3 million for bee-friendly highways, B-E-E, highways that are friendly to our friends, the honeybees, and another $5 million for the salmon. Talk about a buzzkill. Then he says, and lest the other fish feel left out of the spending spree, Here's $65.7 million for international fisheries commissions. Perhaps President Bush was onto something way back years ago when he said, I know the human being and the fish can coexist peacefully. <laughs> well, either you laugh or you cry, right? On a more sinister note, here's at least $575 million for so-called family planning in areas where population growth, quote, threatens biodiversity, unquote. Malthusianism is a disturbing anti-human ideology that should have zero place in any federal program. Now, when he talks about Malthusianism, do you know what that is? Because some of us learned it in, in college, and some of us may have learned it and, and forgot about it. Thomas Robert Malthus, after whom Malthusianism is named, is the idea that population growth is potentially exponential while the growth of the food supply or other resources is linear, which eventually reduces living standards to the point of triggering a population die-off. So they would have a, a catastrophe. And it was debunked many, many years ago. Many, many years ago. Anyway, let me get back to it. Yeah. Number three of this act, not less than $575 million should be made available for family planning slash reproductive health, meaning abortion, of course, including in areas where population growth threatens biodiversity or endangered species. So again, now, some of these 20 
Republican senators who voted for this thing will tell you they're pro-life, but they're not. They're not. If they're voting for this, they're not pro-life. I mean, the thing was dropped right around midnight, Monday night, Tuesday morning, and it's expected to be voted on by, I think it's Wednesday evening, right? U.S. Representative Dan Bishop, North Carolina, continues $65 million in two programs for Senator Leahy and a federal building named for Nancy Pelosi because swamp gonna swamp. That's right. Another screenshot. Here are just a handful of the many earmarks in the bill, including $3.6 million for the Michelle Obama Trail in Georgia. Yeah, we got all kinds of highway infrastructure programs. Millions and millions of dollars. Who knows how many of them are actually needed. A few more earmarks. 477000 for anti-racist training from the Equity Institute. $3 million for the LGBTQ+. Plus, you got to have the plus. Museum in New York City. $1.2 million in services for DACA recipients. $4.1 million and various career programs for one of the richest counties in the United States, Fairfax County, Virginia. If an additional $47 billion in Ukraine funding isn't enough for you, the bill also authorizes a Ukrainian independence park in Washington, D.C. Also, monuments for journalists and service animals. Wait, what's this? Yes, yeah, Section 708, approval of location of commemorative work to honor journalists who sacrificed their lives in service to a free press, the location of a commemorative work to commemorate the commitment of the United States to a free press by honoring journalists who sacrificed their lives in service to that cause within Area 1, as depicted in the map entitled Commemorative Areas Washington, D.C. and Environs, is approved. Section 704, authorization to establish commemorative work to commemorate the heroic deeds and sacrifices of service animals and handlers of service animals in the United States. I guess that's a typo. Probably should be the United States. The bill also renames 25 post offices in in addition to the dozens we've already renamed this session. I'm amazed that we haven't run out of post offices to rename yet. It's bound to happen eventually. $524.4 524.4 million for a DEI and structural racism focused subdivision of the National Institute of Health. Yep. DEI, keep on forgetting what that stands for. DEI stands is for is it uh, diversity, equity and inclusion something like that? Yeah, it is. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay. Didn't even have to look it up. 300000 per year for the continuous plankton recorder. Chump change compared to the rest of this bill. Yeah, you got to keep on recording your plankton. You don't want to fall behind on plankton recording. I wonder if any hip-hop artists could sample any of that. 
Congressman Bishop continues, of course, there's a section for NDAA corrections, another gargantuan bill that passed in a rush because, God forbid, that Congress actually proofread legislation before passing it. Okay, Division O, Extenders and Technical Corrections, Title I, National Cybersecurity Protection System Authorization Extension, Title II, NDAA, Technical Corrections. Yeah, they're not going to read it. You know what Nancy Pelosi said? Well, you have to pass it so we can find out what's in it. Um, Gender programs in Pakistan and a $200 million for a gender equity fund. Yeah. Sure. Pakistan. That'll go over real well over there. Now, last year's administrative expenses for the Vaccine Injury Trust Fund were $13.2 million. Now it's $15.2 million. That's a 15% increase. Anticipating a 15% increase in vaccine injuries? Oh, buddy, more than that. He says it also authorizes sums as may be necessary. That's a quote for vaccine injury slash death claims. That's going to go through the roof. $335 million to prepare for an influenza pandemic, including the use of surveillance tools. Yes, we all, all need to be surveilled. $7.5 million to better understand the domestic radicalization phenomenon, plus a million for gun violence research. Well, I can tell you right now, you don't want to be on the wrong end of that gun barrel. He says these research programs are often a smokescreen for violating civil liberties down the road. Yes, they are, sir. $535 million for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which indirectly funds NPR via grants. This provision doubles the 66,000 available H-2B visas, temporary low-skilled workers. The H-2B program is highly prone to abuse and hurts American workers. Let's see, $11.33 billion for the FBI, $1.75 billion for the ATF, $2.63 billion for U.S. attorneys with an emphasis on January 6th prosecutions and domestic terrorism cases, all with significant increases from the previous year. He says, did you know that the House of Representatives has an Office of Diversity and Inclusion? It's set to receive nearly $26 million in taxpayer dollars. See, this all comes out of your pocket. Also included in the bill, regulations on cosmetics, changes to horse racing rules, and the Electoral Count Act. Everything but the kitchen sink. $286 million in Title X funding, which funds Planned Parenthood. Again, I'm sick and tired of Republican members of Congress, whether in the House or the Senate, saying, I am pro-life, when they keep on voting, listen to me, when they keep on voting for bills to fund the biggest abortion provider in America, Planned Parenthood. $70 million for minority business development, an increase of $15 million from fiscal year 22. The omnibus was released around 2 a.m. Tuesday morning. The Senate was voting Tuesday evening to begin debate on the bill, to have read the entire bill by then, you would have needed to read over four pages a minute without a single break for 16 hours straight. What a farce. More earmarks coming up. But look, 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 look. First, let me tell you. 
if you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live, and that is where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you, no matter where you are in the continental USA. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way. If you have any questions, Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, now, we are so excited to have Mike Lindell and MyPillow as sponsors of the Doc Washburn Show. My wife and I just love sleeping on our Giza Dream bed sheets. I'm wearing my brand new my slipper moccasins. I had no idea slippers could feel this good, and we love our my pillow towel set. They are luxurious. We can't wait to get our my pillows coming any day now. Guaranteed, the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Mike Lindell has all kinds of great deals on automotive products, bath and beauty, books and video, clothing, decor items, food and drink, garden and patio, health, home improvement, household essentials kitchen and dining, personal care, sports and outdoors, toys and games, and so much more over at his new website, mystore.com. Right now, you can save up to 50% on Giza Dream Sheet sets. Get them for as little as $29.99 by using the promo code DWS. Save up to $90 on my slippers, slip-ons, and moccasins, marked down to just $49.98 by using promo code DWS. And right now, Get a six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $44.98 just by using promo code DWS. We are honored to be affiliated with a great American patriot like Mike Lindell. Now, some of Mike's items are marked down up to 80% off if you make sure to use promo code DWS. And remember, that promo code does not stand for Debbie Washerman Schultz. No, 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 no. It stands for Doc Washburn Show. <laughs> MyPillow.com and MyStore.com. Use promo code DWS for savings. Okay, more earmarks from Congressman Dan Bishop, 9th District of North Carolina, in this $1.7 trillion monstrosity. 
$750,000 for the Trans-Latino Coalition, $2.35 million in improvement-slash-maintenance for the Iditarod Trail. Again, that would be another, um, another earmark for Senator Lisa Murkowski, liberal Republican up there in Alaska. $1.5 million for the restoration of the Albany, New York City Hall. 400000 for the Racial Justice Improvement Project. No, but there's more. He says, by the way, hundreds of pages of earmarks aren't even included in the main omnibus bill. You have to view them on a separate website. He says, we're working through those documents as well, including a breakdown of total earmark dollars by party. Man, oh man. It just it just keeps going on. Now, my buddy, um, my buddy Todd Starnes is saying, the spending bill includes $535 million for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which indirectly funds NPR, National Public Radio, all things half considered, via grants. He says, as the owner of a radio station, it's infuriating that my tax dollars are funding my competition. Well, Todd, you do a great job, and NPR cannot compete with you. Anyway, he says, NPR is getting welfare assistance from our tax dollars, if they can't pay their bills, they, they should close up shop. He, he is correct. He is absolutely correct on that. No question about it. Also, Alexis Martinez Johnson responding to Congressman Bishop saying the word salmon appears 48 times in the bill. She says, for every mention of salmon in this bill, we should have the same mention of the border. We need help at the border for the safety of humans. Congressman Bishop says the border should be mentioned a thousand times more. Amen. Amen. So, okay, he links to this article, appropriations.senate.gov, congressionally directed spending requests, and they're going through that. And so maybe we'll have you know, more stuff from that tomorrow. But it looks like they have spending requests from most, not all, but from most senators on here. And that's very troubling. I don't see Ted Cruz, and I don't see Rand Paul, but most of the senators on there. And that's troubling. Anyway, be that as it may. All right, so again, let me go back to what Sean Davis said, the Federalist. Republican senators refused to send actual Americans $2,000 checks after the government destroyed their jobs and banned them from work, church, and school. But Zelensky of Ukraine he gets to have $110 billion with no debate. However much you hate Washington, D.C., I promise you, it hates you way more than you hate it. All right, now let's get to the uh, 
Republican senators that are doing this to us by joining in with the Democrats. And I, I want to put it this way to you. Whenever we hear of Republicans, the party that's supposed to be fiscally conservative, voting to put our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren further in debt, because $31 trillion, there's no way that we'll pay that off in however many generations. Invariably, people on social media, Facebook, Twitter, wherever, say, we need to get rid of all the, those rhinos. Well, let me tell you how that works. Okay? So the founders, our founders set it up when they started this wonderful country, the United States of America. The plan was for the people, the citizens of this country, frankly, landowners, to elect members to the U.S. House of Representatives. But the state legislatures were going to elect the United States senators. And if the senators got too far out over their skis, the state legislators felt like they weren't representing their states appropriately anymore, they could recall a U.S. senator. That changed with the passage of the 17th Amendment to the United States Constitution in 1913. Now nobody can recall United States senators. Everybody's like, well, popular election of U.S. senators, that sounds great. We get to vote for them. That's wonderful. Our founders didn't think so. Our founders thought that was wonderful for U.S. representatives who go to the House. But U.S. senators should should represent the states. U.S. representatives represent the people. So now they get in there for six years, and, and, and you're done. You can't recall a U.S. senator. All right, so let's name these senators alphabetically who voted for this monstrosity. First of all, we got Roy Blunt from Missouri, who is retiring. His last day in office is just a couple of weeks away. You can rail on him all you want, but it's impossible to hold a lame duck senator or lame duck anybody, for that matter, accountable for anything. Next, going down the list alphabetically, Senator John Bozeman of Arkansas, who was just reelected to another six years in office as a hawk on protecting the border from illegal immigrants. So he's voting for this. Not actually for the bill, but to get past the filibuster so the bill can pass. Even though it doesn't allow any further border security. But anyway, since he just won re-election a few weeks ago, he's not up for re-election until 2028. Next, Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia, who also is not up for re-election until 2026. Next on the list, Susan Collins of Maine was first elected to the U.S. Senate in 1996. She actually voted with the Democrats to impeach President Trump, and she doesn't run again until 2026. How about John Cornyn, senior senator from Texas? 
He voted for this monstrosity. He's not up for re-election until 2026. Senator Tom Cotton, the other senator from Arkansas, who's so popular in his home state, he didn't even have a Democrat challenger in 2020. He's not up for re-election until 2026. Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, famously, he's, he's, he's famously known for saying, now, Sean, Sean, we're going to get to the bottom of this, Sean. Just wait and see, Sean. Lindsey Graham, senior senator from South Carolina. He's been in the United States Senate ever since he won 20 years ago, taking the place of retiring 100-year-old Senator Strom Thurmond. Lindsey Graham became the first new U.S. senator in South Carolina since the year 1966. He narrowly won his party's primary in 2014, which is 56% of the vote, a very low showing for an incumbent senator. If he had finished below 50%, there would have been a runoff, and he may very well have lost to whoever is in second place. Lindsey Graham is a decidedly unconservative Republican in a very conservative state. He was caught on a hot mic. I saw the viral video recently from several years ago when John Boehner was still Speaker of the House. John Kerry, uber-liberal John Kerry, had just finished testifying about something, and Lindsey Graham leans into his ear saying, that was really good, John. Let me know if you need any help with Boehner. So decidedly unconservative Republican, very conservative state, but he poses as a conservative quite often on Sean Hannity's Fox News show, so that definitely helps him politically in his home state of South Carolina. He's not up for re-election until 2026. Charles Grassley, senior senator from Iowa, who is 89 years old, has been in the Senate since 1981 and was just reelected for his eighth term in office a few weeks ago. Now, he's the eighth longest serving senator in American history. If he makes it to the end of his eighth term, he would be the third longest serving senator in our history, behind only Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia and Senator Daniel Inouye of Hawaii. Now, Chuck Grassley is not up for re-election until 2028. Then there's Cindy Hyde-Smith of Mississippi, not up for re-election until 2026. Of course, Senator Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, the turtle, who would much rather be minority leader than have to put up with more conservative Republicans in the Senate, he showed that when he wouldn't send any money to Blake Masters in Arizona, instead sent 10 or $11 million to Lisa Murkowski, uber-liberal in Alaska for this past campaign. He's 80 years old. He's not up for re-election until 2026. Jerry Moran of Kansas was just re-elected, so he isn't up for re-election until 2028. Lisa Murkowski, very liberal Republican from Alaska, was just re-elected, so she will not stand for re-election until 2028. Rob Portman of Ohio is retiring. His last day in office, just days away. Again, it is impossible to hold a lame duck like Rob Portman accountable for 
anything. Willard, Mitt Romney, Willard's his first name, is up for re-election in an attempt to win a second term in U.S. Senate in 2024. It will be interesting to see if, as one of the most well-known Mormons in America in a heavily Mormon state, he has any serious primary challenger. I hope he does, but you never know. Mike Rounds of South Dakota voted for this horrific bill. He's not up for re-election until 2026. Marco Rubio, as Trump called him, Little Marco of Florida, was just re-elected a few weeks ago, so he's not up for re-election until 2028. Richard Shelby of Alabama is 88 years old. He's retiring at the end of six terms in the Senate in just a few days. So, again, lame duck, can't do a thing with him. John Thune of South Dakota publicly disagreed with President Trump on the stolen election of 2020 and went on to win re-election a few weeks ago, so he's not up for re-election until 2028. Former, former Auburn football coach and Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville is not up for re-election until 2026. Mississippi Senator Roger Wicker, who told Neil Cavuto on Fox News last year that the U.S. should not rule out first-use nuclear action as an option to support Ukraine. That was before Russia even invaded it. He's up for re-election in 2024. And last but not least, there is Senator Todd Young of Indiana, who was just re-elected a few weeks ago, so he's not up for re-election until 2028. So by my count... Three of the five Republican senators retiring this year voted to move this monstrosity of of a spending bill forward. So 15% of the 20 GOP senators who voted for this are lame ducks. Portman, Shelby, and Blunt know they are untouchable. Can't do a thing to them. Now, why the other two retiring senators, Richard Burr in North Carolina, and Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania didn't vote for it. I don't know. That was kind of a surprise. Because, again, lame ducks are untouchable. Now, six of the Republican senators who voted with the Democrats to hurry along the financial destruction of our way of life, John Bozeman, Arkansas, Chuck Grassley, Iowa, Jerry Moran, Kansas, Marco Rubio, Florida, John Thune, South Dakota, and Todd Young, Indiana, they, they aren't up for re-election until 2028. Six long years from now. So that makes 30% of the 20 GOP senators are trusting by the time the year 2028 rolls around, the voters of Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Florida, South Dakota, and Indiana, respectively, will have forgotten all about this vote. And they are probably right. For that matter, Senator Grassley would be 95 years old six years from now. So it's entirely possible he may not run for re-election then. Now, nine of the Republican senators who voted with the Democrats to enact thousands of pages of financial disaster on us that they haven't read aren't up for re-election until 2026. Another four long years. 
And one of the things that these senators understand is that people's memories are short, and, and it's pretty much prohibitively expensive to defeat an incumbent U.S. senator in a state party primary. So the 45% of the 20, the nine Republican senators, Capito, Collins, Cornyn, Cotton, Graham, Hyde-Smith, McConnell, Rounds, and Tuberville, odds are they're not going to lose any sleep over this disastrous vote. Re-election still four years away. So I guess the thing that surprises me the most is that anyone who's up for re-election in just two short years would vote for this grotesque impersonation of legislation. I mean, only two did, just 10% of the 20, Mitt Romney of Utah and Roger Wicker of Mississippi. So they must think they are untouchable in their respective states, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're right. Anyway, I, I present these names to you as a public service. If you live in one of these states and you actually want to do something about it, now would be the time to get together with like-minded people and try to raise a million dollars for a conservative primary challenger to whichever senator just sold you down the river and you know from whichever state you live in, because it will take at least a million dollars to get any traction in a statewide race. I mean, you do realize, because some people don't, you do realize that each state has two United States senators, and both of them represent the whole state. Got it? So if, for example... You're in a state like Florida, say, and you want to challenge Marco Rubio, and you decided you want to buy TV and radio commercials. Well, um, there are a lot more radio and TV markets in a state like Florida than there are in a state like North Dakota or Wyoming or wherever. And some of those are like really big cities, so it costs you a lot of money, like the Miami-Fort Lauderdale Metro or the Tampa-St. Petersburg Metro or the Orlando Metro or Jacksonville. I mean, that's four top 50 metros right there. That doesn't even touch the other places you need to touch like Naples, Fort Myers, like West Palm Beach, Boca Raton, like Gainesville, Ocala, like Tallahassee, like Pensacola, like Fort Walter Beach, Destin, like Panama City. I mean, yeah, if you want to challenge somebody like Rubio, you'd need not a million, but millions. Whereas in some of the smaller states, a million might do it. I don't know. But you can't recall them. I mean, that's constitutionally. You cannot recall them. So you either wait until they want to retire, and, and Grassley might want to retire in six years in Iowa. He would be he would be 95 six years from now. Or you try to get together with other folks 
of a like mind and see if you can raise enough money to, to uh, and get somebody to challenge whoever it is in your party primary. I know, I know, I know. With God, all things are possible. I get that. But our Lord also told us if you're going to build a building, you need to count the cost before you do and, you know, know what you're getting into. So just a reminder, Bernie Madoff went to prison for a long time for much less than what our members of Congress are doing to us financially. Um, for that matter, Sam Bankman-Fried may very well. No, I know, I know. Um, Tyrus, the big guy on uh, on Fox News on the Gutfeld Show, he said the other night that Sam Bankman-Fried, the FTX guy, he said they're going to Epstein him. He said a thousand percent they're going to they're going to Epstein him. No question about it. And I have been wondering about that because I saw some similarities between. Sam Bankman-Fried and his girlfriend, and Epstein and his girlfriend. Well, I mean, no, 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 no. No, I'm not saying that. There's no evidence that Sam Bankman-Fried and his girlfriend did to young underage girls what Epstein and Glenn Maxwell did. But they allegedly broke a lot of financial laws. And so I was just wondering, gee, I wonder if they Epstein... Sam Bankman freed in, in, while he's in jail, and then they prosecute Caroline Ellison, his girlfriend, and then none of their clients. That would not surprise me. So anyway, when, when Tyrus said this the other night on the Gutfeld show on Fox, he's like, they're going to Epstein this guy, I guarantee you, a 1,000%, definitely. I, I said something about it on, on Twitter and lo and behold, Tyrus liked my tweet. I'm like, oh, how about that? Made my day. Made my day. Thank you, big guy. Anyway, um, so what we have coming up, we got the Twitter files. And again, remember what I said about the new Twitter files that just dropped Tuesday the 20th. They reveal that Twitter directly assisted in influencing the operations of the United States military. That's got to be illegal. So that's coming up. We also have audio coming up of Mitch McConnell, Charles Schumer, Rand Paul, and Ron Paul about this spending monstrosity. So don't go anywhere. Look, I've been talking about how the world is going crazy with supply chain issues. Record-setting inflation, sky-high gas prices, and woke corporations that stand against everything we believe in. Now, we all know how the big box stores were allowed to stay open all during the pandemic, while so many little guys, small business owners, regular people, were forced to close down. The wealthiest people on earth became better off while mom-and-pop businesses suffered. The question is, what are we willing to do about it? What can we do about it? How can our voices be heard? Well, we can make a difference by voting with our dollars. Why continue shopping at big box stores if you can get the items you need from a family-owned company? Now, finally, we can shop 
Factory Direct at a family-owned, made-in-America manufacturer. Switch to America.com is helping Americans walk away from the big box conglomerates. That's why Switch to America was created, with regular folks like you and me in mind. One of the best ways to get around this crazy inflation is to shop with family-owned companies that put their customers first rather than shareholders and corporate executives. A lot of Patreon influencers have come on board. I'm inviting you to join with fellow patriots to cut off the cash flow of the big, woke corporations that are trying to destroy our country. We are done with a woke, globalist operation against humanity. Each of us can take market share away from these businesses that have enjoyed unfair advantages. We can choose to help each other by shopping family-owned, made in America. The website, again, is switchtoamerica.com. Join with over 2 million monthly shoppers that have already made the switch. Let's start voting with our dollars to make sure our purchases are supporting companies that promote freedom. SwitchToAmerica.com is dedicated to offering family-owned alternatives for items we buy on a regular basis. Just go to SwitchToAmerica.com. When it asks how you heard about us, Click on my name, Doc Washburn, plug in your information, and I'll have one of my guys contact you. SwitchToAmerica.com. All right, now let me tell you about the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo? What about problems with your blood sugar or psoriasis or migraines? The Arkansas Preservical Center might be able to help you even if you don't live in Arkansas. Let me tell you how this works. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain. When that happens, your central nervous system is not able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. Now, I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. Had bad migraines, too, for that matter. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away, and it has never come back. And the migraines also went away for good. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar, psoriasis, even migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for a free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. If you're outside Central Arkansas, just go to their website, turnmypoweron.com. Click on the tab that says Find a Doctor Near You, and I sure hope you can. All righty, Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it's important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers 
the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Switching is easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, now is also offering competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. If you're a conservative-owned business, tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, switch to Patriot Mobile Business now. Learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-FREEDOM. Use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or call 469-FREEDOM. All right, now, let's listen to this guy, this McConnell guy, talk about what he says is Republicans' top priority. I hope this doesn't make you gag. Making sure the Defense Department can deal with the major threats coming from Russia and China, providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now. According to most Republicans, that's sort of how we see the challenges confronting uh, the country at the moment. Okay, making sure we know what to do with threats from Russia and China. I can see how that would be a top priority. But there's no way most Republicans think that giving another nickel to Ukraine is a top priority. I mean, how can he, was he taking lessons from Karine Jean-Pierre, White House press secretary? I mean, you know she's like Baghdad Bob, right? The border is secure. I just want to be very clear about that. She'll say it over and over again. Oh, no, no, no. The border is secure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You old enough to remember Baghdad Bob? American tanks rolling into Baghdad. And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, we're demolishing the Americans out there. They don't stand a chance. They'll never get anywhere near Baghdad as the tanks are literally rolling in to the city. So, Mitch, um, sound like he stepped off the curb, if I may use that term in present company. Okay? Then we got Schumer, And this, you know, it's always, 
fascinating to me. When a mainstream media journalist commits what the late, great Rush Limbaugh would call a random act of journalism, every once in a while, a mainstream media journalist actually asks and not only an intelligent question, but an appropriate question. Not only an appropriate question, but the kind of question that normal folks at home would want the answer to. I wish I knew who the reporter was that asked Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, this. Now, the audio on that was not too good. So, let me help translate it. He said, you got a 4,100-page bill that just dropped this morning, and nobody's had a chance to read it, so how, how is this a good idea to vote on it tomorrow? And then Schumer jumps in and tries to defend it. Wait, 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 wait. I turned the wrong, the wrong button down. All right, here's Schumer. carefully worked on by the Appropriations Committee for a very, very long time. Uh, most of the provisions of the bill were well known weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. And uh, getting this bill done for the American people, which really matters, is the most important thing. The stuff that really matters for the American people. Man, I tell you what, he is uh, as accomplished a liar as, as Biden. I mean, you got to give him that. That that was impressive right there. 48 mentions of the word salmon in this bill. Oh, yeah, you got to have them. It wouldn't be any good with only 45 mentions of salmon. No, you gotta, you got to have all 48. Rand Paul, the son of Ron Paul, is an actual medical doctor. He's not just the junior senator. From Kentucky, he is an actual medical doctor from Kentucky. And he's in a difficult position because he's a junior senator from Kentucky, and the senior senator is Mitch McConnell, who's primarily behind this thing. And Rand Paul always supports McConnell for a majority or minority leader or whatever, but... um, this is a, a tough one, and Rand Paul is not happy with this. And so here he is. Unfortunately, this is misreported all of the time. Every day in the hallway, they say, are you going to hold up this spending bill? Are you going to be the fly in the ointment that allows government to shut down? Instead of the honest answer, when did they learn that there was a deadline for spending, and why didn't they meet the deadline? The deadline for spending is September 30th. Every year, they didn't meet it. They were given 90 additional days, and last week that deadline came, and they didn't meet it. They were given an additional week, and with that week mostly gone, they come forward and say, and then all of a sudden it's conservatives' fault for blocking this? No. They know the rules. The rules of the Senate haven't changed. It takes a week to pass a bill in the Senate. And people say, are you going to hold it up? No, it's like, am I going to grant 
a speeding up of the bill, an expediting of the bill. This is about us doing a special favor to the people who are bankrupting the country. They're in charge. They know the deadlines. It is all on them. These people I would not put in charge of a Minute Mart and three gas stations, much less a $6 trillion economy. They know the deadlines. They fail every year. They bring it to Christmas, and then they blame conservatives. And the thing is, people say, well, you won't vote for a spending bill. Sure I will. I'll vote for 99% of what we spent last year. You do that for five years, and you'll just about balance your budget. Wow. That's strong, brother. See, not everybody is selling us down the river. Now, here's Ron Paul. This is where it gets pretty interesting. I want to talk a minute about uh, the whole principle of uh, the First Amendment and corporations because a lot of people still are confused that they're private and therefore they can do these things. Uh, but Jonathan Turley is very good in pointing out, and we have pointed this out as well, is there's a big difference between being a private company or a private organization and you voice an opinion uh, compared to getting all your orders from the government. I think what we've demonstrated here today is that's the real crime here. They've been getting orders uh, from the uh, government and threats and innuendos, economic benefits, economic pain and suffering. So that is absolutely, totally different. And I think what has happened is along the way, uh, it it, it took many, many decades, especially since uh, the 30s, that the, um, the, the principle of private property ownership has become blurred. Most people realize that there's a so-called separation of church and state, that if you have a church uh, and you're teaching a certain religion, that nobody has a right to walk into your church and say, I want equal time, get away, i got to give my speech. Everybody knows that's that's wrong. I, I just don't consider those concepts that complicated. That's why, on the bottom line, I, I, I work very hard at being optimistic because it's a horrible mess that we've allowed ourselves to get into, whether it's the, the, the national debt, the ruination of our monetary system, a foreign policy that has uh, made us commit to maintaining an empire around the world. I mean, uh, what they've done to the medical system, uh, how could that be easily solved? It can be. Understanding the principles of personal liberties, having a very, very limited government, and one of my suggestions has been that if you get a little bit annoyed what the FBI was doing to us, maybe, uh, you know, my suggestion is why don't we just get rid of the FBI and see what happens then. I don't think we will be less safe. I'll tell you, I don't think that for a minute. I don't either. I don't either. All right, so that is the big, huge monstrosity of a spending bill. Now let me get over to Twitter files. Twitter files part eight. Now, the first seven Twitter files have been uh, released by either Matt Taibbi or Michael Schellenberger or Barry Weiss. Twitter files part eight, Lee Fong, who's a liberal reporter over at The Intercept, but I shared an article that he co-wrote a couple of weeks ago about the concern that 
the Intel community was collaborating with big tech to suppress our free speech, even though The Intercept is a left-leaning journal. And Lee Fong said at the time that liberals always claim to be very concerned about the First Amendment right to free speech. However, in this instance, since it affects conservatives, most of them are like, well, that's different. That doesn't count then. And the point he made that shocked him was that I guess most people may say they have principles, but they're actually more tribal, right? It's not just liberals, but he said, so liberals can say, oh, we're real concerned about free speech, and then they see the, the, the intel community conspiring with big tech to come down on conservatives. They're like, yeah, well, we don't care because they're not us, as opposed to, well, the principles of free speech should apply to everybody. I, I thought that was fascinating. So anyway, let's take a look at what Lee Fong has here, Twitter Files Part 8, and again, be thankful that Elon Musk spent $44 billion buying Twitter and is allowing the truth to come out. Twitter Files Part 8, how Twitter quietly aided the Pentagon's covert online PSYOP campaign. PSYOP, of course, is short for psychological operation. You know, there's probably a better way of explaining it than that. So whenever I want to kind of get right down to the nitty-gritty, a lot of times it's a good idea to check in with the Urban Dictionary. PSYOP, and of course it does say psychological operations, but it goes further. A military operation performed by units specializing in psychological warfare, also military actions designed to influence the perceptions and attitudes of individuals, groups, and foreign governments. The purpose of psychological operation PSYOP is to induce or reinforce behavior favorable to a nation's objectives. PSYOP can encourage popular discontent with the opposition's leadership and by combining persuasion with a credible threat, degrade an adversary's ability to conduct or sustain military operations. Well, now, that gives you a lot more context, doesn't it? I mean, Urban Dictionary is a vast wasteland, it's a cesspool, but it's not 100% a vast wasteland. It's not 100% a cesspool. Anyway, back to it. Lee Fong on Twitter, Twitter Files Part 8, how Twitter quietly aided the Pentagon's covert online PSYOP campaign. Despite promises to shut down covert, state-run propaganda networks, Twitter documents show that the social media giant directly assisted the U.S. military's influence operations. Twitter has claimed for years that they make concerted efforts to detect and thwart government-backed platform manipulation. Here is Twitter testifying to Congress about its pledge to rapidly identify and shut down all state-backed covert information operations and deceptive propaganda. So he's got a screenshot here, and let's take a look at it. 
state-backed information operations, combating attempts to interfere in conversations on Twitter remains a top priority for the company, and we continue to invest heavily in our detection, disruption, and transparency efforts related to state-backed information operations. Our goal is to remove bad faith actors and to advance public understanding of these critical topics. Twitter defines state-backed information operations as coordinated platform manipulation efforts that can be attributed with a high, de- with a high degree of confidence to state-affiliated actors. State-backed information operations are typically associated with misleading, deceptive, and spammy behavior. These behaviors differentiate coordinated manipulative behavior from legitimate speech on behalf of individuals and political parties. Whenever we identify inauthentic activity on Twitter that meets our definition of an information operation in which we are able to confidently attribute to actors associated with a government, we share comprehensive data about this activity. Well, who do you share it with? But journalist Lee Fong says, but behind the scenes, Twitter gave approval and special protection to the U.S. military's online psychological influence operations. Despite knowledge that Pentagon propaganda accounts used covert identities, Twitter did not suspend many for around two years or more. Some remain active to this day. In 2017, a U.S. Central Command official, you know, CENTCOM is the abbreviation, sent Twitter a list of 52 Arab language accounts, quote, we use to amplify certain messages, unquote. The official asked for priority service for six accounts, verification for one, and whitelist abilities for the others. Okay, whitelist. You know, I've been on Twitter for 12 years, and I never found out what whitelist means. So now's the time. This is important. No, no, I can't be sitting here talking to you about stuff and pretending I know what it means and hoping you know what it means. White list. A list of people that are cool, trustworthy, and invited to all the parties, the opposite of blacklist. Okay, but what about... Okay, whitelisted. Term in the IT world granting you access to the services you desire. Hey, okay. That makes sense. So this is... um. Well, it has the name of the person. Nathaniel B. Collar, K-A-H-L-E-R, at CENTCOM, who is emailing somebody at Twitter. It's a forwarded message. Thanks. Sure is tough to do web ops when you can't tweet. I've attached a list. The first six on the list are our priority accounts. Ideally, we could have them verified, blue checkmark, and whitelisted, if there is such a thing. One of them, at Yemen Current, is currently not indexing. At Justice underscore AR, 
currently has a request in for verification but haven't heard anything. The rest are accounts we use to amplify certain messages. Ideally, they could be whitelisted as well. Again, if it's too big an ask, the first six are the priority. If you need any sort of paperwork or verification from our office or SOCOM, please just let me know. Also, our SOCOM guys mentioned that they'd love to be able to come and meet up for a face-to-face to talk if you think the right Twitter folks would be up for it. Okay, I know what CENTCOM is. That's Central Command. I'm drawing a blank on SOCOM. I should I should know what that is also. Okay, that's Unified Command for the worldwide use of special operations elements of the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marine Corps. Okay, very good. So that's what that is. Lee Fong continues, the same day CENTCOM sent the list, Twitter officials used a tool to grant a special whitelist tag that essentially provides verification status to the accounts without the blue check mark, meaning they are exempt from spam flags or abuse flags and are more visible or likely to trend on hashtags. The CENTCOM accounts on the list tweeted frequently about U.S. military priorities in the Middle East, including promoting anti-Iran messages, promotion of the Saudi Arabia-U.S.-backed war in Yemen, and accurate, apparently accurate, U.S. drone strikes that claimed to only hit terrorists. CENTCOM then shifted strategies, and deleted disclosures of ties to the Twitter accounts. The biographies of the accounts changed to seemingly organic profiles. One bio read, Euphrates Pulse, for the Euphrates River, Iran, or Iraq. Another used an apparent deep fake profile picture and claimed to be a source of Iraqi opinion. One Twitter official who spoke to me said, He feels deceived by the covert shift. Still, many emails from throughout 2020 show that high-level Twitter executives were well aware of the Defense Department's vast network of fake accounts and covert propaganda and did not suspend the accounts. For example, Twitter lawyer Jim Baker, remember, FBI, mused in a July 2020 email about an upcoming DOD meeting that the Pentagon used poor tradecraft in setting up its network and were seeking strategies for not exposing the accounts that are linked to each other or to DOD or the U.S. government. Stacia Cardiel, that's the name we had the other night on the Twitter files. Another Twitter attorney replied that the Pentagon wanted a skiff. Oh, my goodness. That's a secure compartment where nobody can hack, nobody can listen in. Let me see, what is because they got them in Congress. A sensitive compartmented information facility. And you can't take any cell phones in there. Okay? Stacia Cardiel, another Twitter attorney, replied that the Pentagon wanted a skiff 
and may want to retroactively classify its social media activities to obfuscate their activity in this space, and that this may represent an overclassification to avoid embarrassment. So they get this screenshot of her email on that one to Jim Baker and somebody else. In several other 2020 emails, high-level Twitter executives slash lawyers discussed the covert network and even recirculated the 2017 list from CENTCOM and shared another list of 157 undisclosed Pentagon accounts, again, mostly focused on Middle East military issues. In a May 2020 email, Twitter's Lisa Roman emailed the DOD with two lists. One list was accounts previously provided to us, and another list Twitter detected. The accounts tweeted in Russian and Arabic on U.S. military issues in Syria slash ISIS, and many also did not disclose Pentagon ties. Many of these secretive U.S. military propaganda accounts, despite detection by Twitter as late as 2020, but potentially earlier, continued tweeting through this year, some not suspended until May 2022 or later, according to records I reviewed. In August 2022, a Stanford Internet Observatory report expressed a U.S. military covert propaganda network on Facebook, Telegram, Twitter, and other apps using fake news portals and deep fake images and memes against U.S. foreign adversaries. And he's got a link there to report on that. He said the U.S. propaganda network relentlessly pushed narratives against Russia, China, and other foreign countries. They accused Iran of threatening Iraq's water security and flooding the country with crystal meth and of harvesting the organs of Afghan refugees. Yikes. I wonder if they actually did that. Because it would be really bad if they did, but if we're accusing them without any proof, that's a whole other thing. The Stanford report did not identify all of the accounts in the network, but one they did name was the exact same Twitter account CENTCOM asked for whitelist privileges in his 2017 email. Lee Fong says, I verified via Twitter's internal tools. The account used an AI-created deep fake image. So it's got a, a guy's picture for the uh, the profile picture, but he's saying it wasn't even a picture of a real guy. It's an AI-created deep fake image. Now, do you know what a deep fake is? It was the craziest thing. When I first saw a deep fake on YouTube, um couple of years ago. So I had a guy named Bill Hader. Very funny comedian. Used to be on Saturday Night Live for a few years. And there's a video of him with, he was on uh, Late Show, David Letterman. And when he impersonates Tom Cruise, all of a sudden he looks like Tom Cruise. Because something they did to Manipulate the video. It's called a deep fake. All of a sudden, you think it's Tom Cruise. When he impersonates Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
all of a sudden he looks like Schwarzenegger. You think it's a deep fake. You don't think it's deep fake. You're like, hey, what, what just happened there? Because they manipulated the video. They can do that. That's what a deep fake is. You can make a video look like anything you want. And so obviously you can do that with a, a still shot. Lee Fong continues. He says, in subsequent reporting, Twitter was cast as an unbiased hero for removing, quote, a network of fake user accounts promoting pro-Western policy positions, unquote. Media covering the story described Twitter as evenly applying its policies and proactive in suspending the network from the Defense Department. The reality is much more murky, though. Twitter actively assisted CENTCOM's network going all the way back to 2017 and as late as 2020 knew these accounts were covert slash designed to deceive, to manipulate the discourse, a violation of Twitter's policies and promises. They waited years to suspend. Twitter's communication team was closely in touch with reporters working to minimize Twitter's role when the Washington Post reported on the scandal, Twitter officials congratulated each other because the story did not mention any Twitter employees and focused largely on the Pentagon. The conduct with the U.S. military's covert network stands in stark contrast with how Twitter has boasted about rapidly identifying and taking down covert accounts tied to state-backed influence operations, including Thailand, Russia, Venezuela, and others since 2016. Lee Fong then says, here is my reported piece with more detail. I was given access to Twitter for a few days. I signed slash agreed to nothing. Twitter had no input into anything I did or wrote. The searches were carried out by a Twitter attorney, so what I saw could be limited. And so he links to a new article over there at The Intercept, dated December 20th, and it's entitled, Twitter Aided the Pentagon in its Covert Online Propaganda Campaign, subtitled, Internal Documents Show Twitter Whitelisted CENTCOM Accounts that were then used to run its online influence campaign abroad by Lee Fong. Last name is spelled F-A-N-G, but in Chinese they pronounce it Fong, not Fang. So I would I would recommend you go over to theintercept.com and check it out if you want more detail than what he gave in Twitter Files Chapter 8 on Twitter that I just shared with you. This guy is a very good writer. I shared with you one of his... Um, one of his articles a few weeks back. Okay, now, let's look at a December 17th article from the New York Post, Twitter's top ranks riddled with ex-FBI employees by John Levine. Twitter's top ranks were riddled with ex-FBI agents and executives stitching the company even closer to the federal agency now under fire for leaning on Twitter to meddle in the 2020 elections. More than a dozen former feds flocked to the company 
in the months and years prior to Elon Musk's purchase of the social network in October. New York Post found FBI influence was considerably more significant than just James Baker, the FBI's former general counsel who later worked in the same role for Twitter. He was recently fired by Elon Musk for interfering in the billionaire's efforts to come clean about past transgressions of the company. The news comes on the heels of the latest Twitter files disclosures, which show how the agency dedicated dozens of agents to pressuring the company to remove political tweets it found objectionable, the agency, of course, being the FBI. In some cases, the former G-men and G-women held positions that would have put them close to company leadership directly involved in censoring the New York Post's Hunter Biden coverage in October 2020. So you got that. But wait, that's not all. Yeah, this next one is uh, is a real doozy. So in honor of the real doozy, I guess it's time to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, big old car dealership in the middle of the USA. Please in freedom including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental USA. Today's Tweet of the Day is from The Federalist. Article entitled, Are FBI and CIA Agents Sheep-Dipped at Twitter and Other Tech Companies? This is by Mark Hemingway. Dateline today, December 20th, 2022. Subtitle, that so few people are curious about the nexus between intel agencies and big tech should be a national scandal. And he says, according to the latest drop of Twitter files from Michael Schellenberger, now remember this was written before the next Twitter files drop from Lee Fong. According to the latest drop of Twitter files from Michael Schellenberger, as of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees, bureau alumni, working in Twitter, they had created their own private Slack channel and a crib sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals. It appears that Twitter still has 14 employees on the payroll who worked at the FBI and CIA. The problem isn't just confined to Twitter. He says, my colleague and Federalist contributor Ben Weingarten recently wrote an article for the New York Post entitled Inside Revolving Door Between Democrat Deep State and Big Tech. In addition to covering what was happening at Twitter, Weingarten details a broader number of suspicious links between Silicon Valley and U.S. intelligence agencies, given the near constant string of deep state scandals and social media censorship, we have endured in recent years a big question we should all be trying to answer right now is, what exactly are all these spooks doing at tech companies? Spook, of course, is slang for spy. So far, the answer appears to be, well, they're almost certainly up to no good. After the first batch of Twitter files dropped, it was revealed that Elon Musk fired 
Twitter Deputy General Counsel James Baker. Prior to going to work at Twitter, Baker was a top lawyer at the FBI from 2014 to 2017. In that capacity, he played a significant role in shepherding FBI's baseless and illegal Russiagate investigation. In fact, it's probably safe to assume one of the reasons Baker exited the FBI was to dodge any accountability for the FBI's reckless and politically motivated attempt to investigate a sitting president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Twitter was actually a pretty soft landing for Jim Baker. Or at least it was until it was revealed that Baker, who was still employed at Twitter as of a few weeks ago, got fired after he intercepted the internal company communications that Elon Musk was giving to journalists Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss to expose the censorship and misdeeds of the company's previous management. Nobody has quite figured out what he was doing, but there's widespread speculation Baker may have removed Twitter communications with the FBI or other damning information before it could become public. Yes, large global corporations need high-level, discrete corporate security, and potentially for benign purposes, the particular skill sets that former law enforcement and intelligence personnel provide. However... The situation with Baker makes the problem plenty obvious. If you're inclined to automatically trust the professionalism and integrity of the FBI and CIA, please have your head examined. I want to know how many of these FBI and CIA agents are sheep-dipped. We talked about what that meant the other day. In the intelligence world, sheep-dipping is a term of art. It describes a tactic whereby a member of the military is officially discharged from service to do covert work. In secret, this person is still eligible for rank promotions and military benefits. I first learned the term from my father because he was sheep-dipped. That means he worked for the CIA in Laos in the early 1960s lead up to the Vietnam War. He was a young Marine officer. During his year in Laos, his normal service records were replaced with records saying he was separated from the Marine Corps to allow the government to deny any responsibility if anything happened to him. When he returned from Laos, they swapped out the files saying he had left the Marine Corps with his regular service record, all as if nothing unusual had happened. Suffice it to say, during this period, Dad witnessed the CIA's involvement in drug smuggling and other unsavory behavior. The whole episode left a very bad taste in his mouth. Fun fact I learned earlier this year, the man in charge of CIA operations in Laos when my father was there was the legendary spymaster Ray Klein. Now, one Kennedy assassination conspiracy theory relates that Lee Harvey Oswald who was still serving in the Marines when he briefly defected to the Soviet Union, didn't really defect. He was sheep-dipped and working for the CIA on an intelligence-gathering mission inside the Soviet Union. The whole crazy escapade, according to the tale, was possibly organized by Ray Klein, 
the local CIA station chief at the same time and place as one of Oswald's previous overseas deployments. For what it's worth, Ray Klein also happens to be the former father-in-law of Stefan Halper. Oh, my goodness. The dubious paid informant who was the FBI's source for much of their bogus Trump-Russia investigation. In case you're keeping track, why, yes, I did just draw a line, albeit not a particularly straight one, that connects the Kennedy assassination and the Russiagate scandal. It would have been too digressive to mention Ray Klein and Stefan Halper's connections to Watergate and Iran-Contra, but I think you get the drift. This is an amazing article. I'm so glad I'm reading this to you. Now, as clarification, I should say that sheep dipping seems to apply mostly to the intel community's use of military personnel and isn't necessarily an all-purpose phrase for CIA or FBI undercover work. One of the most annoying things about being subjected to years of completely credulous Russiagate and steel dossier coverage was every pundit suddenly becoming an armchair expert on espionage and throwing around phrases such as SIGINT, when we all know they just learned what signals intelligence was 15 minutes ago. But the point here isn't to offer up conspiracies about the Kennedy assassination. It's to make the point that one reason conspiracy theories are so easy to believe is that it's well known the deep state industrial complex employs a lot of tactics such as sheep tipping that are expressly about manipulation and deception combined with so many official denials over the years that turned out to be lies. This makes it impossible to believe intel agencies when they say, oh, we aren't doing anything. It was very much denied that American soldiers were in Southeast Asia when my dad was in the jungle learning how to eat soup with chopsticks. More recently, we have very dishonest denials about domestic spying by Obama intelligence officials John Brennan and James Clapper that in a just society should have led to criminal charges. The FBI response to Twitter files revelations that they were working behind the scenes with the social media network and encouraging censorship is about the furthest thing from reassuring. An FBI spokesman told journalist John Nicosia, and I quote, The FBI regularly engages with private sector entities to provide information specific to identified foreign malign influence actors, subversive, undeclared, covert, or criminal activities. Private sector entities independently make decisions about what, if any, action they take on their platforms and for their customers after the FBI has notified them, unquote. Now, based on what we know, there's absolutely no reason not to assume that of the numerous former FBI and CIA employees at Twitter, some weren't either informally or directly working for intel agencies. Further, it is incredibly alarming that the watchdogs that are supposed to protect us from rogue government agencies eroding our rights 
can't be bothered to investigate this. For most of my life, the corporate media and the activist left in particular treated these agencies with extreme skepticism. Revelations such as these would formerly have set off klaxons in newsrooms. But now, well, now according to liberal journalist Glenn Greenwald, people's brains are so drowning in partisan muck that the Bernie Sanders AOC left, which still pretends to find the CIA and FBI nefarious, if you force them to take a stance, refuses to care about the grave dangers and what Matt Taibbi reported about the FBI's role at Twitter. Worse, Greenwald observes that their shared partisan obsessions mean that the left has completely surrendered to the corporatist imperatives of liberal institutions such as the media. He further observes the only real enemies they see are the Trump movement and GOP. That's why I use left liberal in quotation marks, their core worldviews have merged. With the exception of an under-resourced conservative media and a few independent lefty journalists, such as Matt Taibbi and Glenn Greenwald, who have dared to stay true to ideals that most of the journalists now trying to discredit them claim to have held as recently as six years ago, no one is interested in solid evidence suggesting intel agencies have been secretly curbing America's First Amendment rights and possibly doing so to explicitly influence elections. The fact that so few people are curious about the nexus between intel agencies and big tech, even when the evidence is staring them in the face, should be a national scandal. Americans deserve to know the truth about whether our intel agencies are being used against citizens, we should be concerned that the full extent of what they've done and what they likely continue to do to us will never be known. Now, that is Mark Hemingway, the book editor over The Federalist. And um, the name of the article is Are FBI and CIA Agents Sheep-Dipped at Twitter and Other Tech Companies? And just a big thank you to Mitch Ward and the folks at Red River Your Way for sponsoring today's tweet of the day. That's probably the longest one I've ever shared with you. But it's one of the best articles I've shared with you. I guarantee you that. I mean, I often say I talk about stuff that uh, other talk show hosts aren't allowed to talk about. I, I hope, I hope. See, I, I don't have time to listen to talk radio anymore because I'm I'm doing show prep for this 24-7. But I hope that somebody in talk radio has talked about this. Because it's uh it's lit, y'all. It is lit. So that having been said, you have been listening to episode 307 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, 
Directed by Mick Messy, this has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier the Tenth. Well, that's the way it is. Tuesday, December 20th, 2022.